0: Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Now, welcome to The Premed Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a great guest, someone who's a medical student, an elected official, a Low income, first generation student, as well, who has an amazing, amazing story. We're going to talk to Antonio here in a minute. But before we do, I want to talk about the MCAT minutes brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. Did you know one of the reasons I love Blueprint is that they have this mission to provide lots of free resources as well, and they love giving away stuff uh, too. And so One of their things is their free account. If you go to blueprintmcat.com, sign up for their free account, you get access to a half-length diagnostic so that you know where you are when you start. And trust me, you want to take this when you first start your MCAT prep. Don't worry about the score. You just want to dip your toes in the water and see what it's like. You also get access to a free full length exam when you're ready to start taking full lengths. You can really gauge where you're at. You also, one of the best things, one of the coolest things is their amazing study planner tool. Drag and drop interface allows you to adjust on the fly as you go. Put in your desired test date, what your schedule looks like, and let Blueprint do the rest. They'll tell you what your schedule should look like to make sure that you're maximizing your time as a pre-med student, as someone who's taking the MCAT, as someone who is busy, I'm sure. All right. Go to blueprintmcat.com today. Thank you, Blueprint, for sponsoring the pre-med years. Uh, Let's go and say hello to Antonio right now. Antonio, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me.
1: Yeah, definitely. So excited to be here today, Ryan.
0: Antonio, when did you first realize you wanted to be a physician?
1: Yeah, I probably first realized this, you know, it, it was a process. Um, but probably sometime uh, in high school, uh, I went to a high school. Uh, here in California called uh, Dozer Living Medical High School. So uh, I got exposed to a lot of that field uh, early on in high school. But before then, um, you know, no one in my family had ever been in medicine or in healthcare. So that was really kind of my first exposure and really started that curiosity.
0: Nice. What, um, a- after the high school experience, you were like, I'm going to be a doctor, right? It, d- did you leave that experience going, yep, this this is for me?
1: Uh, No, I mean, I think I still had like a lot of doubts and a lot of wanting to do and explore so many things. I Mm -hmm. think, uh, you know, throughout college, uh, I started off uh, both pre-med and uh, econ major, uh, and then I found a lot of stumbling blocks getting through those um, econ, uh, getting through those uh, pre-med classes, uh, getting through those, you know, General chemistry, organic chemistry, biology, uh, and the econ piece started to take a bigger uh, focus in my life as I started to have some doubts and think, you know, maybe I, I don't know if I can actually be a doctor, and started to feel kind of discouraged. Um, uh, and it wasn't until actually after I graduated from college uh, with my degree in econ that I started to think, hey, I think uh, we need to find a way to give this uh, being a physician thing a whole try again. And so I found my way back to medicine after a few more uh, gap years. Yeah. And, and
0: you come from first generation, low income household. Talk about your background and, and why you, you didn't uh, just have all of the support there for you to help you through this.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that's, it's really so important and so challenging at times, I think, for people to articulate what that experience is like. So like you said, uh, I come from a, a first generation, low income Mexican immigrant family. My mom works at Jack in the Box as a fry cook, my dad at Red Lobster as a dishwasher, uh, and they pretty much have done that their entire lives. Um, so they didn't really understand um you know, what going to college was about. They didn't really have a full sense of what, like, you know, what what going to medical school might have looked like. And there's a lot of things I think that first generation students run into. I think one example that you see people sometimes talk about, and that very much rings true for me, uh, that I think uh, has really helped me illustrate this to people, is the idea of office hours. I think for a lot of people, they understand that office hours is like this time where you go and get help with classes, you talk to the professor about the class, but no one ever explains it. You know, at the start of class, people just say, This is the time that I have office hours. And so for a lot of people, including myself, I heard, Oh, this is their office hours. I was like, Oh, that's when the professor is working in their office, like, you know, getting all the important things they have to get done. <laughs> don't so don't bother me. There, but I bet, yeah, I bet I <laughs> have a really good question if I'm going to go in there uh, and talk to them. So it took me a while to like start to use those resources because there's a lot of things that I think people uh, forget to explain because to some people they seem very obvious. But but for people who don't have all of that context and background, um, it can take a little bit to figure out.
0: So what do you think it is for for someone listening to this, maybe who doesn't have that similar background to you and, and they hear your background, first generation, immigrant family, low income, a lot of people don't resonate with that. They don't understand it. They can't empathize with it in, in your mind, right? For your experience, you obviously can't speak for everyone's experience Uh, for your experience. What does that actually look like? Right? Because When I went to school many moons ago, we didn't have the internet as it is today, right? We had old AOL dial-up, we didn't have Google, we didn't have ChatGPT to help us with all this stuff. And so information is freely available. So what does that actually look like for you? How does that show up for you?
1: Yeah, so I think, um, you know, the information, like you said, is there, but it's like, you know, where do we get started? And oftentimes the information that's really impactful and really important is the information that you get personally through relationships. you know the way that we form relationships is by talking to people and forming connections and through these shared stories that we have. Um, and you know, when it comes to the world of medicine, uh, we're still working to get more people that come from these diverse backgrounds and these other places. So as you know, uh, you know, low income first generation students are trying to navigate all this information um and figure out, you know, what's important and what to focus on, uh kind of trying to find people to help them sort to that through sort through that is a little bit challenging uh, because um you know, you don't know who to start with and who to connect with. And, uh, if you can, uh, trust, you know, how much can you trust that, you know, I think it ties into, uh, also the longer, more lengthy conversation about the historical parts of medicine that creates distrust between communities of color.
0: Yeah, definitely. What do you think was the outside of right again, kind of the, the lack of understanding a lot of this process, what do you think was the hardest part for you as a pre-med student?
1: Yeah, I think the hardest part uh, for me was, um, and, and I think, you know, based off the, some of the things I've talked to other people, I think this is a pretty universal thing at time. but like, you know, finding mentors can be such a challenging process. Um, and again, like I was saying, connecting with people can be really challenging. Because for, for me, like I said, I stumbled through this a uh, process of really you know, knowing for sure that I wanted to go into medicine about uh, being able to do well in my classes. And it wasn't until after I graduated, um, I started working at San Francisco General Hospital where I found um, just an amazing group of pediatricians who were just fantastic mentors through me who truly believed in me um, and, and were able to help guide me through different parts of the process to encourage me. And so really once I found those mentors, Uh, All those academic pieces kind of like really quickly melted away. All the other parts really like were um, uh, such less of a concern once I knew I had that support and someone that I could I could turn to. Um, And then you know I I don't know how it is that that works, but uh, you know I've heard that from other people that you know once you find those mentors, some of the things that you thought were your biggest problems actually weren't the biggest.
0: You You have other big problems, just not those (laughs) ones. (laughs) The MCAT—that's a big problem. Uh, Right. (laughs) So. Talk a little bit about right you mentioned you graduated and and didn't pursue going to medical school immediately. What caused that kind of detour that you took? Uh this delay in in understanding or knowing that you could get into medical school and you kind of it sounds like maybe settled on something else. What what caused that?
1: Yeah, so I think um like I kind of alluded to at the beginning, like I just, you know, going to college and trying to navigate this uh, new environment. Uh, and I went to, to Stanford for my undergrad. And so it's a very different, more affluent community. A lot of people from backgrounds that I don't necessarily resonate with. Uh, and so it was a kind of a, a learning process to kind of uh, understand the culture of this kind of an institution. And so, uh, you know, I struggled through through my pre-med classes initially um, you know, uh, I, I retook uh, general chemistry. Uh, I uh, retook organic chemistry. I um, uh, I think I got a W in one of those. Um, I took general biology and noticed that I was not doing too great on it. I didn't think I was doing uh, bad enough to fail the class. So I changed my grading from letter to pass, no pass. And actually at the end of the class ended up not passing <laughs> general biology. So, uh, you know, Getting, you know, not performing well in all these classes that people say you need to go to med school kind of makes you feel like, oh, maybe I'm not supposed to be a doctor. Maybe this isn't something that I should be putting my time into. And so uh, I think I got discouraged by that. Um, Yeah.
0: Did did you personally get discouraged by that or did you go seek out help and were discouraged by other people or a combination?
1: I think a a combination uh, of the two, um, because I would... um, I was uh, I was an econ major that was trying to do all the pre med requirements, and so a conversation I remember having a lot uh, in undergrad is I would talk to you know. Uh, professors or staff or people that were more focused on biology and medicine. They're like, well, you're an econ major. You probably won't end up actually pursuing medicine. You know, like people say that most people uh, don't end up actually uh, pursuing medicine, even though they, they start with that intention. Mm-hmm. And, or I would talk with the econ people that, well, you said you want to go into medicine. So, you know, you're probably going to do that. So, you know, they, they, there was this less inclination to want to invest, I think, resources into kind of what I was trying to do and accomplish. So I, I had a lot of trouble. finding like a home of someone that would understand uh you know the kinds of things i was interested in why i was pursuing these two things
0: yeah so if if someone's listening to this and potentially is on a similar path following two different passions Mm -hmm. what recommendation would you have for them to to not end up in this kind of purgatory of like no home and no support and and uh kind of stuck in the middle
1: yeah, so I think, you know, I think two things come to mind. One, I think, you know, to be very straightforward, it is going to be challenging, I think, to find a, a good home for this kind of thing sometimes, uh, because I think the world of medicine uh, really calls a, in the culture right now is for people to really like give as much of their life as they can to medicine. So um, I think it's growing to be more interdisciplinary, but um, I think we have a ways to go there. Um, so I would say, you know, definitely like, stick it out and really stick to your convictions. These things can be done. There are people out there that are doing these things and it's such important work. And I think that's where the future of medicine actually lies is people who are trying to push the boundaries of what we're including in medicine right now, especially when we think about things like the social determinants of health, when we think about, you know, that, that we see patients for 15 minutes and then they spend the rest of their lives outside the hospital. And then we see them in a year for 15 more minutes. So we need to be doing stuff that's going on outside the hospital, just as much as we're doing stuff that's going on inside the hospital. And then the other thing that I would say um, is that there are mentors out there. You just have to talk to a lot of people and you have to be Uh, willing to go through that rejection I think I didn't have hadn't built up all the resiliency I needed to uh, go through that those levels of uh, rejection and kind of like talk to all these people and sometimes it's not even it's personal and it's not um, that people don't want to help you it's that people are very busy so you have to be persistent you have to keep pushing you have to keep looking talking to as many people as you can. Uh, but there is homes out there for you. I think, um, you know, as maybe we'll talk a little bit more about some of the work I do right now in public service. Now I find people who are starting to understand these ideas of these different things that are going on that maybe not don't seem connected to medicine, but now they very are. And I, I find these great connections now. Yeah. That really keep inspiring me.
0: Looking back on your, your undergraduate experience, what do you think it was that finally kind of broke the camel's back or whatever the the straw that broke the camel's back what do you think it was that ultimately said medicine's not in my cards what what was it and and how did you feel then
1: yeah so it's a you know i I bet it was yeah a number of different factors but i think the story i always think about where i think i i I mostly decided that i was not going to do this is um you know i knew that i wanted to try to you know do some research in Uh, biology that would get me, you know, closer to to being able to apply to med school and kind of preparing for that, and I found this professor who had spoken at some uh, events that I'd been to related to first-generation low-income students, and I thought that, uh, and then that wasn't their background um, as far as I know, Um, but I felt like, oh, this might be a person who might understand my experience, who can see where I'm coming from. And so uh, I applied to do research in their lab uh, and they invited me to go and uh, interview. And I talked with them. They toured me all across the lab. And uh, for some reason, during that same interview at the very end, they told me, we're, we're probably not looking for someone like you right now at this moment, uh, which I thought was just uh, such a harmful experience for me to get that, you know, in the moment after we'd done all this long conversation, this for the lab, and, you know, I was so excited, and I thought someone here was uh, about to take a chance on me, and so I felt like that was, you know, the last lifeline that I could reach out to, to you know, have someone, you know, help validate this idea that maybe I should go to medical school. And so I think that was really the piece that I think discouraged me a lot.
0: Yeah. So you graduate from school kind of put the medicine aspirations uh, in the trash can, <laughs> or at least on the mm-hmm. sideline. What, what was your thought? Was it, I'll, I'll be back, right? Were you Arnold Schwarzenegger in that moment? <laughs> I'll, I'll be back. Um, or did you think you were just going to move on and, and do other things uh, at that point in time when you graduated?
1: Yeah, no, I, I did think I was going to try to do uh, some other things, um, I more focused on, like, you know, the things I was learning through my econ degree. I think one of the, the stories I would tell myself is, like, you know, like, as a doctor, you know, I can only see, you know, X number of patients a day, but maybe I can make some kind of systemic change with my econ degree and kind of change systems Um and so I thought I was going to try to work in more like administrative things. I thought maybe more research type of things. Um, but I, I think ultimately some of the things that I started to find as I explored these career options was that it just felt so far away from people. I think, um, you know, I remember having conversations with people that were in these jobs. Uh, with economists, I would talk about these like amazing findings that they they found out, you know, I remember hearing from like an economist at like a rideshare company that was like, did you know that if the fares are high, people will keep driving? And I'm like, we'll have you like literally just talk to anyone. Uh, (laughs) And and any Uber driver or, you know, Lyft or whatever rideshare will tell you that like, yeah, if there's a lot of money to be made, I'll keep driving for like a little bit. So all of this research you did could have been done in one conversation (laughs) with, you know, your rideshare driver. And so, you know, in the same way I was like, I think I'm missing that piece from medicine, of uh, being able to connect with patients and you need those connections if you're going to drive systemic change to make sure that you're not losing um, sight of what uh, people actually need. And that's what I started seeing when people were kind of taking this further systemic approach. And that's when the inkling of like, hey, maybe I need to start thinking about, uh, you know, medicine again, started to come back.
0: Yeah. How do you find out? Because a lot of students are in a similar situation in terms of kind of "Quote unquote, given given up on that path, on that that kind of career aspirations. Maybe the GPA didn't support it. Then what? Whatever the the potential cause. How do you start to go gather information on whether it's even feasible, right? In, in terms of getting into medical school with failing your 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 pass no pass grade, <laughs> that you're like, I'm just going to change it, uh, and you still failed, uh, which is fine. Um, Where did you go get that information that this is something you could do? Because you you talked about, right, finding some mentors, but that mentors are great, but they're not going to fix your past and actually help you get into med school. So like, how did you start that next process?
1: Yeah, for me, um, I had uh, up to that point, never heard of what postbacks were. But Uh as I started to think about this idea of like, you know, uh, maybe I want to go back into medicine. I was like, "How do I do this?" Um, and so I just started talking with like, my friends and stuff. And someone mentioned postbacks. Um, and then, like I said before, it's really just about reaching out to a lot of people and trying to gather information. And so I reached out to all the postback uh, postbacks in my area. I'm in the Bay Area, um, and everyone was super happy to meet with me and like go over my transcripts and see if the program was a good fit. See, you know, how far did I have? um, to, you know, actually make it to med school. What did it take to get to med school based off where I was at and what kinds of things should I be spending my time doing? What can I work on? You know, how realistic was this? Um, so I was able to have a lot of really good conversations there that I think, um, you know, really put in perspective, what's this going to take? Um, and if I still wanted to do that with that information.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Postbacks uh, are hard, uh, especially from low-income, first-generation students because they're expensive and financial aid is typically not available for for undergraduate-level postbacks. How did you navigate the financial aspects of grade repair? Because that's a big issue in our country, how expensive education is, especially for students who need to do some grade repair and take more classes.
1: Yeah, that's a, a great question. And it's a, a massive problem that still exists. And um, I don't think I solved it with the way I approached it. So, this is not going to be uh, a great answer, I think, for people. But I worked uh, full time um, during uh, when I was doing my post back. Um, so, uh, I just uh, really pushed myself, I think, to uh, a little bit uh, unhealthy level. So, my, my day, uh, I, I did a, a post back um, through UC Berkeley Extension. And so basically my day would be, I would uh, you know, take uh, the local um, railway bar to, to San Francisco to work at San Francisco General Hospital, uh, where I was doing clinical research uh, after I did decide that I wanted to do this post pack and I did want to try to do this. So I'd commute, take about two hours, and I'd work an eight-hour day. Then I'd go and do you know, a three-hour class that day and then head home two hours, try to do some homework while I was on the train. Um, and basically, yeah, all my money was going towards like post back and surviving. and There was credit card debt that was accumulated. There's not a lot of great solutions uh, right now for low income uh, post back students. There are um, scholarships and things that are available, but they're just not as abundant as they are in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, so at least for me, um, yeah, it just kind of took a lot of grinding and it really, it shouldn't be that way. And we should be trying to find better solutions to help students like that.
0: Yeah. When you, uh, go back to your post back, what kind of mentality did you have going into taking these, these classes where you like, is it do or die time? And, and if it was, how do you become successful? Because you're the same person, right? How do you, how do you change that success at the end of the day?
1: Yeah, I think, um, so yeah, it was very much like a, like a do or die, um, you know mentality, uh, and you know when I talk to students now, you know I think that's one of the the primary things I tell them is that you know one of the hardest, longest things to fix is like GPA and your courses. Other things could are a little bit faster, and you could be a little bit more creative kind of fix, but that kind of can take some time. Um, but I think um, you know, the most powerful thing you can do is like really sit down and reflect and be very honest about where your shortcomings were coming from and what you can do to be better. And, um, And really trying to fix those pieces. So, like for me, kind of some of the things I alluded to is like I wasn't exactly leveraging my resources of getting the help where I needed. I was like, (laughs) those aren't office hours (laughs) where the professors are
0: so busy to meet, can't even meet with you. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
1: And so, you know, like yeah, once I started this job at 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 Temple General, like I, you know. Uh, try to talk to as many people as possible and get like a lot of great physician mentors for that like emotional support piece which I think is just as important as an academic support piece Mm -hmm. I made sure to spend some time either getting to class early or staying a little bit late and talking with the professor Uh, even if it was just to say say hi Um, I think one of the things that can feel very vulnerable but I think has been very helpful is like you know, I'll go up to professors and be like, hey, in the past, I've kind of struggled with classes. And so I just want to talk and see how I can make sure I can be successful. Because I, I, you know, at times, uh, uh, you know, I've not done too well in some of my classes. So what yeah. can I do to be better? And just starting the conversation there. You don't have to have like, you know, such an important question or well thought out question. I think just starting that relationship off wherever you can uh, really helps build good pathways and good engagement with the class and uh, helps you do a lot better. So I think that, 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 that really, I think, changed things a lot for me. And I, I formed a lot of really great relationships with my uh, professors that i just didn't have when i was in undergrad
0: yeah applications uh come up and you're like okay i have done my grade repair I've, I've done as good as i can do uh, up until now what what was your mentality going into applications D- were you like this is a sure thing i'm gonna get in or were you <laughs> scared to death like most students
1: yeah, no, I, th- I think, uh, I think if you think you're for sure going to get in, maybe you should probably do uh, some more self-reflection. I think there's a healthy dose of skepticism and applying. Um, but, you know, I think you can h- kind of hold multiple things at the same time. So I both, you know, was not sure I was going to get in, but also knew that like, this was my best foot forward. You know, I, you know, my post back, I got straight A's afterwards at that point. Awesome. And had, you know, uh, you know, I spent, a, you know, about four of my five gap years doing classes, uh, and that was all like straight A. So I was confident that, um, you know, I had demonstrated that, look, I could do well in classes. So I didn't feel any kind of um, you know, negativity or anything that I had to prove, I felt that my application really showed who I was at the time. Yeah. Uh, so I think feeling confident that made the process, application process, feel a little bit better. But you know, you can't get rid of that little piece of fear that I think is always there throughout such a long and and hard process. Yeah.
0: How did you get, if at all, how did you get help on your applications, writing essays, interview prep, all of that stuff?
1: Yeah. So this is where uh, I think, you know, relationship building really starts to compound, you know, like, so as I was talking to my professors, making these mentors at work, uh, you know, making new friends, uh, these were the same people that helped me, you know, to read over my essays that helped give me advice about my application, helped connect me to like admissions people to talk to. Um, and, you know, really gave me some some tips on making sure that I was really maximizing uh, my a- application. And I think I got to give a, a special shout out to my sister who is just a phenomenal writer and like looked through like all of my applications. Uh, one of the things that, um, that I, I often tell students and I got this from my sister, um, and she would like, she read through like some of my first drafts and she, would, and I would say something like, and this is where I realized the importance of working as a team. And she's like, that's not where you realize that she's <laughs> like, you've been working as a team or like you learned about the importance of culture yep. in so many places in your life. And so she would just call
0: out like, <laughs> I've said that so much, Mike, really? It took you <laughs> shadowing a doctor to realize that empathy is important in life. Like, come on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So like, yeah, just calling out like, when did it actually happen? You know, if it was a process, you can say that, you know, things like helped confirm that, but like, that wasn't the moment that it happened. You know, not yeah. everything in life is an aha moment and that's okay. Yeah. That's okay.
0: Yeah. Um, what was it like to get the, that first interview invite?
1: Oh, it was, it was, it was so great. Um, I think it was just such a confirmation that like, you know, okay, there's a chance here. And I think, um, you know, that first interview invite. um, well, really exciting. I think, um, you know, I think like many people and many pre-meds, uh, just so quick to, you know, let that point of celebration melt away very quickly and go like, Oh my God, now how do I prepare for this interview and just kind of jump to the next, uh, point of stress. Um, but, uh, but yeah, definitely a, a good moment in the application process.
0: How many schools did you apply to? Do you remember? Uh,
1: I, yeah, I believe I applied to uh, 20 schools. Okay. Um,
0: did you get FAP?
1: The, yeah, because I did have yeah, the FAP okay. waiver. All right.
0: So got FAP, which is a financial assistance program or the fee assistance program uh, from the AAMC. Um, so you qualified for that. It gives you those 20 schools that you're going to apply to for free, which is fantastic. How many interviews did you get?
1: Uh, I ended up, uh, so here's where I think I'll be even more, uh, transparent about some of my, my, um, you know, shortcomings and, and ways that like I can continue to get better, um, is I didn't pre-write my secondaries. So, um, I definitely oh. like, you know, struggled on my secondaries <laughs> and, um, and they
0: come in uh, like a tidal <laughs> wave that that's the new metaphor I've been using a lot.
1: Right. Um, And, you know, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later, but at the time I was running a campaign to be elected to local office here in Antioch. So I was competing with completing my medical school application stuff and running like this campaign to get elected. And um, a good chunk of my secondaries, I think, went by the wayside because of that. Um, So I think I ended up doing about half of them um, and got uh, two interviews.
0: Okay two interviews uh interviews went well obviously you're in med school now uh not literally right now cuz you're taking a little bit mm-hmm. of a break but um what was it like to get that that acceptance that first acceptance that came through
1: oh it was it was awesome it was amazing my first uh acceptance was um to the Mayo Clinic uh in Rochester so that was wow. like, such an exciting moment um and uh i got it pretty early in the year i think like in January so it was uh, a very uh, it, it was nice to get that kind of secured because I think that's one of the things that's so stressful for pre-meds and was for me it's just kind of these long waiting periods in between yeah. and uncertainty so just knowing like hey at the end of the day whatever happens with everything else like we got one acceptance we're going to medical school
0: that's awesome Who was the first person you told
1: uh, the first person I told was probably uh, my neighbors who like probably heard me screaming. <laughs> that, like, I got to I'm not control. dying. I'm not dying. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then next, uh, my mom.
0: Nice. That's awesome. Uh, you, you mentioned, right, running for, for office. You, uh, one of the things that seems like you're pretty adamant about is that medicine should not take over someone's life. Talk about the things that you're doing outside of medicine that maybe has some impact on medicine, but maybe not, maybe just impact on you as a person.
1: Yeah. So, um, so as I was saying in 2020, um, I ran to be on the school board in my hometown of Antioch, California. Um, and I, um, did that because, uh, You know, we know that as we're looking into what medicine does is we address like the social determinants of health um, and the education that, you know, kids get also affects their health. Um, and so, you know, outside of, uh, and so I ended up running against this 12 year incumbent here in my hometown, as I was applying and trying to figure out how all these things were going to fit together. Uh, I would like talk to my mentors, um, and everyone uh, kind of basically said, they're like, well, you should go ahead and like, you know, keep applying to med school, run for office. You don't know if you're going to, you know, if either one of those things are going to happen. So you can't really make a decision counting on those <laughs> and you'll just figure it out as you go along. And then, Yeah. You know, I won the election and then I got into med school and I called them, like, uh, I won. And they're like, you're in the figure it out portion then. F A F O. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. So, and then the work that um, I think the work um, in school boards and education in, uh, policy um, is something that I think we should be pushing to try to find ways uh, for physicians and healthcare providers to get involved in. Uh, you know, we see a lot of really hot button political issues happening that really don't reflect the views of the healthcare community a lot of the time. Um, and I think part of that is because. Um, you know, healthcare providers, doctors, physicians, nurses, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of hours um, and it's hard to find time to be civically engaged, but um, these issues do end up affecting the ways that hospitals run, the ways that clinics operate, the things that physicians can do. And so I do think that we need to try to find a way to make space for people to be able to engage in these other areas of life. Um, Because if as a profession, um, medicine keeps siloing itself, it's going to, you know, uh, be subject to other things. You know, I think a popular thing that people say in politics uh, is that if you're not at the table, you're on the table.
0: (laughs) If you're not at the table <laughs> you're on there okay i don't know what that means but okay <laughs> let's just go with it um, so I, policy stuff right you're a school board learning policy stuff do you have aspirations for healthcare policy for for maybe running for for bigger offices whether it's statewide nationwide at some point in the future
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a definite possibility. I think that's exactly what I'm trying to figure out. That's kind of part of the point of this sabbatical I'm taking from uh, medical school. So, um, right, so I finished my my second year, I'm a third year student now, but uh, taking sabbatical from that third year um, to do this um, joint master's in education and public policy. Um, and trying to see, uh, you know, how does a career with medicine and public policy look like? Can we create that? Do we need to change the way that medicine is for those kinds uh, of things to work? So I kind of go where the uh, change is. And so I think it's very possible that that change kind of pushes me towards these other elected offices and things like that.
0: What is the, <clears throat> the number one thing you would want to see changed in healthcare right now?
1: Um, I guess um number one thing in healthcare. Um, it's
0: like a med school interview question.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's like, it, do you want to know what I want to change in healthcare or in medical school? Because I, I think I have two strong opinions about either. Uh, let,
0: let's go with both.
1: Yeah. So, like in medical school, I think. Um, something like the fact that step one went pass fail. I think we need to kind of push that even further. I think more things need to be pass fail. I think we need to take out some of these high stakes testing things, um, even lower um, stakes and reduce really the stress that students are going into so that they have the space to also fight for change. You know, I am like what I do right now uh, serving on a school board. um, I think it's only possible because step one went pass fail. I think if I needed to put, um, you know, as much stress and energy into step one to get like an extremely high score and that I really wanted to do good, make sure that I did well on residencies. I think that might have taken too much energy out of what I'm able to do. Um, and so I think that gives space for students. And I, and I see so, that right now. So I think. let me, me ask moments, you, yeah.
0: let, let me ask you, Antonio, because mm-hmm. someone's going to listen to this and going, mm-hmm. that's just... I'm not even going to say the word that's just propaganda because we, we live in a culture where everyone should get a trophy and, and this ridiculous, like you're, you're in med school to go and save people's lives. Of course you should be working hard. How how do you argue against that?
1: Yeah. So I, I think, um, you know, what I would say is that, uh, you know, test scores and all these objective metrics are not like these infallible things that we've gotten from the heavens that say you are a good doctor or not. There are things that that we've created. So I don't think that's necessarily proof of whether you're a good doctor, about whether you're working hard or whether you're doing good for your patients, your ability to pass tests and do these other benchmarks Um don't necessarily, um, you know, match up to that. Um, mm-hmm. And if we have doubts about that, then we need to change the the, the exams. If you, you should feel very confident that if someone pass these exams that we say uh, are yeah. qualified qualify you to be a doctor then you shouldn't have any doubt otherwise i would say you have doubts with the exam
0: yeah. then 100% and, and i agree uh once they decided step 1 should be pass fail they all should have went pass fail they never should have been scored in the first place they're credentialing exams that we as a society have said this is the bar for knowledge to be a physician in our country Having a higher score doesn't mean you're going to be a better doctor. It just means you are a better test taker, and whatever, right? We set a minimum bar uh, that every physician coming out uh, in uh, out of medical school should pass. So I, I, I agree with that 100. Uh, percent Okay, so that's med school. What about uh, healthcare in general?
1: Yeah, healthcare in general. So I think um, I think we need to fix healthcare access, uh, and this might be you know. Uh, Potentially controversial to some people in some in some ways, but like we just need to increase the amount of healthcare providers. If people are having challenges getting access to healthcare, um, then we need to find a way to make sure people uh, are able to reach that healthcare, and that can mean increasing the number of physicians, increasing the number of uh, you know advanced care providers. Uh, whatever it takes um, to make sure that people are able to access healthcare. I think there's a little bit too much of a push sometimes for people to want to restrict expanding the amount of physicians or expanding the scope of some providers. But I'd say that if we're not actually meeting the healthcare needs of everyone, I think that we're prioritizing other things over patients at that point. And if we want to have conversations about that, let's first make sure that people are able to access healthcare and then we can talk about, uh, you know, whether we think certain, you know, providers should have certain scopes, about how many physicians should exist, about all these things. But I think the patients come first and make sure they have that access.
0: Antonio, a perfect future uh, politician answers. I love it. Antonio, for the student listening to this, whether they're first generation or not, low income or not, uh, Mexican or not, whoever they are listening to this, but they, they're struggling with self-doubt no matter what path they've come from. What words of wisdom do you have for them to keep pushing forward
1: yeah i think the biggest thing is i do truly believe that anyone can become a physician if they want to become a physician um, if they want to pursue this pathway Um, the only thing that may be different is how long it takes Um, and so just understanding that um, it's not a reflection about who you are it's not a reflection about your skills or abilities Um, We all run into like different struggles, different things that held us back, different things that we didn't know that we wish we would have done differently. But I don't believe that the door is ever truly closed to you. Uh, You just might have to get more creative, take a little bit more time, use a lot of a little bit more resources. Uh, But it it can be done if you want to keep pushing, but just make sure that you're not doing it alone.
0: All right. So there you have it. Antonio, you can go check him out at AntonioHernandez.com. Again, go check him out at it's rather theantoniohernandez.com. You can check him out at theantoniohernandez.com. Again, theantoniohernandez.com. Go check him out. You can check out all of the amazing stuff he's doing. Theantoniohernandez.com. And don't forget to check out our sponsor, blueprintmcat.com. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time here on the pre-med years.